reading will be from the book of Exodus, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Exodus 6, verses 1 through 8. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his, of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brings you out from under the burdens burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. There was a young man who joined the army, and he was learning to be a paratrooper. Before his first jump, he was handed a list of instructions. Jump when you're told, count to ten, pull the cord. In the unlikely event that your chute does not open, pull the emergency rip cord. When you get down, a truck will be there to take you back to the base. The young man memorized the instructions. He got on the plane along with his fellow paratroopers and they climbed to 10,000 feet and the paratroopers began to jump. When a young man was told to jump, he jumped. He counted to 10, he pulled the ripcord. Nothing happened. The parachute did not deploy. He reached to the emergency ripcord, he pulled that and again... Nothing happened. The chute failed to open. As he was uh, going down to the ground, he said, Oh, great. I suppose the truck won't be there when I get down there either. <laughs> you know, that's kind of how the nation of Israel felt, wasn't it? They'd been in bondage for 400 years. They'd gone into Egypt uh, when there was a Pharaoh who was favorable to them, but adversity came. And they became slaves in a foreign nation. They were strangers in a nation and they were slaves. And in their affliction, they cried out to God, Exodus 2, 23-25, and God heard their cries. To rescue them from the bondage of slavery, He raised up an unlikely hero. He brought a deliverer named Moses who was in his 80th year a fugitive from the law to bring Israel out of bondage. He arrived in Egypt. He confronted the king. He demanded the release of God's people, Exodus chapter 5. But Pharaoh refused God's demand. Instead, he made life doubly hard. He made the tasks even greater than it had been before. In fact... Israel, the people of Israel now, 
they were at the breaking point of such hard labor that it was about to take their lives. So what did they do? Well, they turned to Moses. Not, not in, in pleading to him to help them in some way, but they turned to him in anger. You came down here, you caused a big problem, and now, as if it wasn't bad enough, I guess the truck won't be there when I get down to the ground. Well, Moses turned to God. Moses turned to the one who was there, and when he did, God gave him words of heavenly comfort for the people of Israel. He delivered a message. And here's what we need to understand. We have burdens in our own lives. Burdens were not peculiar to Israel. Now, they probably had some greater burdens in many aspects than what we have today, particularly physically. But we have burdens in our own lives, don't we? Shoots don't open. Trucks don't show up. So what happens? What happens then? Those same words of comfort from heaven can comfort us. They can give hope to God's people today. The title of the sermon this morning is God is Still There. God is still there. God cares about His people. And He cares about the situations in which we find ourselves. God cares more for us than we care for ourselves. He does care. And our passage this evening, or this morning rather, explains to us the ways in which He cares. And we can learn from it. We can see how He interacted with the people of Israel. We can make an application to our lives today. Though the the burden is different, it's still a burden, and it needs to be handled in a very similar way. I want us to notice the ways in which God cares for His people, even today. God cares about our frustrations. That's our first point. We may not think that He cares about our frustrations because... We may be frustrated a lot, but He does care about our frustrations. And within the frustrations that we have, He cares about the burdens that we have to bear. Everyone bears a burden. Not only does everyone bear their own burdens, they help to bear other folks' burdens as well. But burdens are the things in life that trouble us. They worry us. They concern us. There are those things around us that draw our attention away from what it ought to be on and more on to the present problems. Even if the problem maybe is not as great as we think it is. But we all had burdens and Israel had a fantastic burden. They had a great burden. They had a burden that they were not going to overcome on their own. Notice what they were doing. They became slaves in a foreign land. The people didn't like them because they were shepherds. And they were tasked with building some kind of buildings there. They might have even been tasked with building the pyramids. I don't know. But they had to build these pyramids. And then Moses shows up. He delivers God's message. Not Moses' fault. Pharaoh's fault, right? For not obeying. Well, it makes Pharaoh mad. So Pharaoh says, okay, you know what? I'm going to make it even harder on you. Not only are you going to have to to make bricks, but now you're going to have to go out and you're going to have to gather your own straw. You're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do that. And guess what? You still have to perform the same amount of work. So I'm going to punish you 
for Moses coming down here and making me angry. So they still had to build the buildings. You know, our burdens are going to be different. We're not slaves. We're not under physical hardship necessarily, but we still have them. Every day, life can at times be a huge struggle for each of us. We have burdens. But we do not want to confuse the Christian life with the struggles of this life. Now, the Christian life isn't the easiest life that we will live. Wouldn't it be much easier just to not care, to live however you want to, not care about meeting God one day, convince yourself there is no God. So it's not the easiest life to live, but it's not the struggles that we read about in the New Testament that we have to overcome. It is not a burden from which we need to be rescued. Not the Christian life, is it? Jesus said this, Matthew 11, beginning with verse 28. He said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's not the Christian life from which we need rescuing. It's the true burdens of life. It is the Christian life that helps us to alleviate the burdens in this life. God cares about our frustrations. He cares about the burdens we carry in this life, and He cares about the bondage in which we are or may be. Israel was in physical bondage in Egypt. They thought it was the worst thing in the world until they got freedom, right? Until they were rescued, until they got sick of manna, and they wanted to go back to bondage. That doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? What's wrong with those people? Bondage is what controls a person. It is the taskmaster. It is the one that changes your life. And Pharaoh controlled Israel. He loaded them down with burdens. He had taskmasters to mistreat them as they lived in bondage to those people. Of course, Pharaoh was being manipulated, wasn't he? By Satan. Satan wasn't looking out for Pharaoh's best interest. Well, you can't let Moses come in here. He's a shepherd. And who is this God? Are you surely not going to allow him to talk to you this way, are you? And so Pharaoh said, no, I'm not. God cares about our bondage and he wants to rescue all people from bondage. He wants to help them with the, the substances, the sins, the attitudes which can control people at times. Peter said this, 1 Peter 5 beginning with verse 6, he said, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. This idea of this word care means anxieties and worries. Burdens. Cast your burdens upon Him. It speaks to the things which do burden us, which weigh us down, that the taskmaster has placed upon us and He invites us to cast them upon God. The things we have no control over. We can change it, we're supposed to change it. We can't change it, God will handle it, right? 
We do the best we can. We affect it the way we can affect it. We try to alleviate the burden in the proper way. And if it can't be done, then cast those cares upon God and He will take care of them one way or the other. He'll take care of them in this life or in the next one. It also indicates a continual, constant, unending concern. Something you just can't get away from. An interest in each of us. He has that interest. He is interested in all folks. All people. God cares about what affects us. Notice what the writer of Hebrews said. Hebrews 4 beginning with verse 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. That's kind of an odd way to put it in the King James Version. But what he's saying is we do have a high priest who is touched with our infirmities. He understands exactly what we're going through. He continues saying, But was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What are we in times of need? When we're covered with burdens. What do we do when we're covered with burdens? We boldly go to the throne of grace. God cares about our frustration. And He cares about our freedom. It's our second point. He cares about our freedom. God promised to free Israel from bondage. And He's promised to give us that same freedom from sin. We're not in physical bondage. You know, some folks in the world are. They're trying to be Christians. They're in physical bondage. That still happens in in parts of the world today. Don't get caught in the Middle East trying to be a Christian. Don't get caught in China trying to be a Christian. Don't get caught in North Korea trying to be a Christian. There's a whole lot of folks in our country that do not want us to be Christians. And they're going to do some things to try to prevent that from happening. Right? We're seeing it happen right now. Israel had slipped into sin. And the greatest problem in the lives of all people is that it's sin but that problem can be solved in Jesus well where's God when all this is going on God's still there he's still there he's still offering comfort he's still giving answers all we have to do is ask the right questions obedience to him can destroy the hold that Satan has over anyone and it can give us freedom to eternal life That's what the point is, right? God has provided the ability to resist sin that hinder our walk day by day. Romans 6, 11 through 18. He's given us the power to overcome that sin through obedience to the gospel. It's not difficult. He hasn't given us some kind of a terrible mathematical equation that we have to find the answer to that takes up the whole blackboard, right? We don't have to do that. I'm glad for that, right? He's given us an easy answer. He's given us easy access to what the answer is to fix the problem. All we have to do is be obedient to Him, do it the way He's asked us to do it, in the way He's asked us to do it, through the obedience of the gospel. When you obey the gospel, that doesn't mean Satan goes away. That means he amps it up. 
That's who he's focused on in this life. Do you know how many New Testament Christians are in the world? I don't know, 10 million? 20 million? There's 2.5 million in the United States, and, and they're not all faithful. I've heard a number of maybe 10 million in India. I think that's probably way exaggerated. But there are not that many New Testament Christians in the world. There's 7 billion people in the world over. Who's, who's Satan focusing on? He's focusing on New Testament Christians who are faithful. When you obey the gospel, that's when you have to get to work, right? That's when you have to really get busy. That's when you have to toughen up and, and learn what you need to do and that's why we continually study to show ourselves approved unto God. A workman that has no need to be ashamed. Rightly dividing or handling properly the Word of God. That's where we get our information. Simon the sorcerer, we remember him. He sinned against God after having become a Christian. He was a, a magician. He made his living on fooling people, making them think he had some kind of ability and a power. And then he obeyed the gospel. And then he began to watch Peter and John. He began to see them giving out abilities to other folks. He didn't just want an ability. He wanted to buy the ability to give that to someone. This man was a Christian. Satan wasn't going to have it. He liked Simon just the way he was. And then he obeys the gospel. He sees that freedom from the sin or the slavery of sin and Satan wanted him back and so he worked on him where he knew he was weak. Notice what Peter said to him, Acts 8 beginning with verse 20. He said, Thy money perish with thee because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. He said, Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent therefore of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. There it is, the bond of iniquity, the burden of iniquity. Then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. See, he was given the power and the ability to overcome that. And he was given that by God because God is still there. And he's still there today. God cares about our freedom from sin. And he cares about our freedom so that we don't go back into slavery. He didn't want or he does not want to happen to anyone what almost happened to Simon. But Simon had the power to overcome. Paul asked those in Rome, Romans 6, 16, he said, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. There's only two, two choices. There's only two choices. There's no gray area. It's black and it's white. There is sin unto death, or obedience unto righteousness. That's the power that God has given to us. And He cares about our freedom. He doesn't want us to go back into slavery. He doesn't want anyone to return to the slavery of sin who has escaped. And now we go back and we look in Exodus and we see how those folks came out of Egypt. 
God saved their lives. They were dying under the whip of the taskmaster. And they get out into the, the wilderness. He, he led them across the Red Sea. He had done everything for them. And they wanted to go back to slavery. Why in the world would someone want to go back to slavery? It doesn't make sense, does it? Peter warned this. 2 Peter 2, beginning with verse 20. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But it has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. God cares about our not returning to slavery. He's warned us. Israel wanted to go back, be beaten to death under the taskmaster, to die in a foreign land under someone's rule who didn't care anything about them, when they had God right before them taking care of everything they needed, you know, their, their shoes and their clothes never worn out in 40 years. They didn't have to get a new pair of shoes. They didn't have to buy new clothing. He gave them water when they needed it. He fed them when they were hungry. And because their diet wasn't just exactly what they appreciated, and what they were used to under that slavery back in Egypt, they wanted to go back and eat the leeks and the cucumbers and, and meat and all that kind of stuff. God cares about our frustration. He cares about our freedom. God cares about our future. That's our third and our last point. God's promises to Israel was not limited to their deliverance from Egypt. That was just part of it. That was just the beginning, right? That was their initial coming out of bondage, coming out of slavery. It's just like the, the, the alien sinner who obeys the gospel and they come out of the bondage of sin. That's just the start. That's just the beginning. Now we've got a trek ahead of us. I think we can make that application in our lives. We've got to walk through the wilderness of this life and we have to pay close attention to where we're going. We have to pay close attention to what we're doing. You see, God made promises regarding their future also. And He promised to provide for them a future to the faithful. Everybody wants a future, don't they? Our kids begin to grow up. We send them out into the world and we want them to have a bright future. Even if our futures were not so great. Maybe we came up and we didn't have the kind of money that we wish we'd had. We didn't have the great jobs we wish we'd had. Things could have been a little better at home growing up. But we want our children to have a better future. We want them to have the things that we didn't have. Our promised inheritance is not temporal like the one promised to Israel. See, God promised to give them a, a land where the people could go, Deuteronomy 6, 23, where they could be a nation, be His people, and He did that for them. But see, the promises that He makes today and that He has been making for now almost 2,000 years is not one of 
of a physical promise. It's not something that's temporary. It's not something that's going to go away after some point. That's not the kind of promise he's making. He's making an eternal promise because he cares about our future. See, just like Abraham, we're searching for that city whose foundations was not built by some person, but whose foundations was built by God, Hebrews 11, verse 10. Our future is promised, but it is promised on the condition of obedience. Again, it's not a difficult obedience. It's not something that we can't do, but it's something that most people don't want to do. Jesus warned, Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. That's the whole problem. We don't like being told what to do. But we better think about it, right? That is a very specific promise with a very specific set of conditions attached to it. And we can root that out and we can find that. One may believe he's doing the will of the Father, but unless he is doing it the way Jesus said to do it, and in the proper way, Jesus will deny that person. He's not going to allow that person into the heavenly realm. Oh, but I did all these great, wonderful things in your name. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. The one who does the saving is the one who sets the conditions. And he has that right. God has promised the faithful a future. And He has prepared that place. And it is an eternal reward. Paul told Timothy that he looked forward to receiving that crown of righteousness that he had worked so hard to gain. He looked forward to that. And he wanted that. And he lived in such a way as to make that a surety that he would receive it. See, we can do that. We can make it a surety. We can't just, we don't have to go around like, like the other people in the world saying, well, boy, I hope this thing's going to work out. I hope this is going to work out. We look at many of the denominations in the world and, and some of their the beliefs when compared to the Bible are pretty far-fetched. Pretty far-fetched, aren't they? Now, those people are faithful in that particular religion and they, and they believe what they're, what, they're, what they're professing, but I just can't help but think that some of them are thinking that same thing. Boy, I don't know. I sure hope this is right. I sure hope we're doing the right thing. See, that's not what New Testament Christians have to do. See, we can ensure salvation. We can know that we know. Peter encouraged, wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall, 2 Peter 1.10. Just as He prepared a place for Israel physically in this world, the land of promise, He has gone and prepared a place for us eternally. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. He said, if it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. Philip said, we don't know how to get there. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. You see, John saw the vision of heaven in Revelation. Revelation 21 Uh 
1 through 22, verse 5. He saw that vision. Heaven is prepared for the faithful. It's a prepared place for a prepared people. It's ready and it's waiting. And God cares for and wants each of us to reach the eternal reward. You may have heard the name Charles Plum. He was a United States Naval Academy graduate. He was a jet pilot in Vietnam. After 75 combat missions, his plane was destroyed by a surface-to-air missile. He ejected and, and parachuted into enemy hands. He was captured and he spent six years in communist Vietnam prison. He survived the ordeal and then later, after he returned home, he became a speaker who lectured on lessons learned from that experience. One day, Plum and his wife were out having dinner and they were sitting in a restaurant and a man came up to the table and he said, You're Plum. You flew jets in Vietnam from the aircraft carrier Kitty Hawk. He said, You were shot down. Plum looked at him and he said, How in the world did you know that? He said, I packed your parachute, the man replied. Plum gasped in surprise and gratitude. The man shook his hand and said, I guess it worked. Plum assured him that yes, if you hadn't done it properly, I wouldn't be here today. So he goes home and he couldn't sleep that night thinking about the man. He said, I kept wondering what he might have looked like in a Navy uniform. A white hat, a bib in the back, and bell-bottom trousers. He said, I wonder how many times I may have even seen him and not even said good morning. How are you? Or anything. Because you see, he said, I was a fighter pilot. And he was just a sailor. Plum thought of the many hours that the sailor had spent on a long wood table in the bows of the ship, carefully weaving the shrouds and folding the silks of each chute of someone he didn't even know of who he held their life in his hands. Relaying this to one of his audience, he asked his audience then, Who's packing your parachute? Everyone has someone who provides what they need to make it through the day. Plum also pointed out that he needed many kinds of parachutes when his plane was shot down over enemy territory. He said, I needed that physical parachute. I needed a mental parachute. I needed an emotional parachute. And I needed a spiritual parachute. He said, I called on all of those supports before reaching safety. Sometimes in the daily challenges that this life gives us, I think we might miss what is truly important. And we need to always remember who packs our parachute. Are we relying on Him? Even in times of struggle, God is there because He cares. He cares in our frustration. He cares for our freedom and He certainly cares for our future. We see that in His interaction with the nation of Israel in times past and we see it in His interaction with the church today. God is in the same place He's always been, watching over His people as they face the struggles in this life. God never moves and He never changes James 1.17 He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Hebrews 13.8
God is still there. And here's the good news. He wants to save. He wants to save the world. Why else would He promise a prepared place for the faithful? It's there waiting. All we have to do is accept it. If you need to answer the Lord's invitation this day, whether through initial obedience, faith, repentance, confession, and baptism, or whether we need to come back to Him because we forgot who packed the parachute, do that as we stand and as we sing.